Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. We hope this message empowers you to love life, love Jesus, love people, and dream more. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Sun sets free is free indeed. I think it's shallow to say we're in a series. This is a life. Free. Given to us freely, yet cost Jesus everything. We've been kind of taking a journey of inward to outward. It's easy to notice what other people need for freedom, but God wants to do a deep work in us get that taproot, break down layers that's tough, and pull stuff out. And there's been some cool stories that God's been pulling out recently. I've been getting amazing texts, hearing about groups, opening up, praying. A few weeks ago, I remember one person on the worship team at the end was just bawling and we're laying hands on. It was just so powerful. And today is going to continue to do a great work. If you're here by chance and you say, I don't know Jesus, I'm not sure if he's Lord, I would say... We're 100% guilty before a holy God, apart from the name of which only all of mankind could be saved, a relationship in, in, in putting our faith and our life in Jesus, that through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we can be made brand new. And the bad news is the sin that you and I carry, apart from Christ making us brand new, we're separated from God forever unless we make that exchange with Jesus. And when we make that exchange, the good news is it's instant, permanent. He doesn't lose those that are his. Will you be perfect? Absolutely not. Will it be difficult? Yeah, you better believe it. Will you be more marked and the enemy will hate you? Yeah. But that's where freedom is found. And you could do that as simple as saying, okay, I want to hear the message as a follower of Jesus. You'd simply just say, Jesus, forgive me. I make you my Lord and Savior. Boom. You believe in your heart, confess through your mouth. Simple. That's how easy he wanted to make it. But then now, here, let's go into the journey. Let's dive into this. Let's talk about reprogramming today. Let's talk about a big word that's uh, maybe associated with cathedrals, maybe associated with ancient civilizations. And that word is holy, holiness. Today, holiness is a song of freedom. Holiness is my freedom today. Galatians 2, justified by faith. Verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners, writing from a perspective of a Jew, but yet showing us that everyone's guilty and no one can be made right, and we're going to see the power of Jesus setting us free. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but because of the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. This is the big statement. But Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who the Son sets free is free indeed, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for, it is, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This text, beautiful. You and me, the law, trying to keep up with what is right to get God's favor and his attention will never add up to success. So therefore, insert Jesus into the game, into the scenario. He hits the game-winning shot. We're going home, defeated and discouraged, and then he comes in and we can celebrate with him. Christus victor, Christ is victorious. We're in, the, like, we're in the celebration. We're in the party. We're made brand new. And by that faith, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So if Christ lives in me, how does he live? It's not a big question. What does Christ do? What does he watch on TV? How does he show up to conversations in our job? Does Christ gossip? Is Christ angry? Well, you can have righteous anger, but no sin. So when we're angry, do we have righteous anger, but no sin? These are real things that we got to talk about and think about. And Jesus uses this big hyperbole in Matthew 5. Today, uh, if you want to learn, I would bust out some. I just would. I would, I would think, um, I heard one, one preacher say it this way. The weakest ink is better than the best memory. And when you write something or text something, like, and this isn't condemnation, but genuinely, I don't want to be on stage today. I want, I want it to be something that help equips you for when you go home. Because stuff hits the fan. When you're alone by yourself, that's real. That's real. Sundays are amazing. The reason I'm crying up here, I'm like, wow, I need this stuff. You know why I need it? Because I'm outside my comfort zone. You, have you ever heard this quote, art disturbs the comfortable and, and comforts the disturbed? I think that could be applied to faith. Faith <laughs> disturbs the comfortable but comforts the disturbed. So when I'm in faith, because I know I can't, I'm like, yes, I surrender. I surrender all. I sur-. You know, I'm thinking that. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. I can't, I can't. But that's what's so beautiful because it's Christ who lives in me. There's a big hyperbole in Matthew 5, and what I was saying is you could, you could take notes, you could put it down, maybe you're just a head learner and listener, whatever you do, but, but uh, be intentional. So Matthew 5, 27 through 30, because Jesus is going to say a big hyperbole. He says, you've heard that it was said, if you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already already committed adultery with her in his heart. All the guys are like, man. Now what, preacher? Like, like wh- where do we go from here? Because, like, I mean, I don't want to talk about everything, but, like, I mean, he said we're all guilty, right? So what do we, yeah, yeah. And, and here's the urgency he puts. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better to lose one of your members 
than that your whole body go into hell. And this is perplexing because if, wait, I'm in Christ, I wouldn't go to hell. And what he's using though, and this is why it's important to understand maybe poetry, similes, likes. Now, in, throughout the Bible, the word for this is hermeneutics, is what is the text saying in what particular passage? And some texts are literal, historical events, and others are used as similes or wisdom nuggets, um, analogies, metaphors, and in this particular case, hyperbole. I didn't even know what hyperbole was until uh, the band, hyperbole. I had no idea. And then, and that, that, and, uh, but then as I took class and I'm thinking hyperbole, and what it is is just, it's like a hyper expression of something to really get the point across that sin is bad, really bad. Bad, like bad. John Piper, bad, like that voice, bad. I love it. You need, we need that. It's bad because he's such a good God. He doesn't want us to drink poison. I've heard the analogy if someone gave you a cake and they just said there's a little bit of poop in it. <laughs> it's okay. You're going to eat it. It's just a little bit of poop in it. Well, I'm not a bad sinner. I'm just a little bit of sinner. Well, today... Maybe you'd ask the question, why so serious, Jesus? Because he knows how harmful it is to us. And whatever's tripping us up today, maybe we take that next step. Maybe a guy's saying, well, I haven't been able to beat this thing called lust in a long time. Maybe today's the day covenant eyes becomes our future. $14.99 and you start having blocks on things you can't a month and you can't get to. Or maybe triple X church filter online. That becomes a step to help encourage holiness and you know, we don't want to get so close to the cliff that we can just look down it and find out where the edge is because we could slip if we know there's tendencies in our life why not build barriers we want to hit some pins don't we so we put the bumpers out for the kids and then they can hit some pins and then we can say well is that behavior modification absolutely not that's the called wisdom it's called wisdom I remember smoking weed every single day for seven straight years but every once in a while like and, and hey I know weed is legal now and that's fine for people that have that medical condition and it helps them and benefits them. I get that. For me, it made me a stunted version of myself. All I wanted to do was nothing. And every, didn't matter what strand, didn't matter what happened. It just led to more drugs and more drugs for me. And uh, marijuana for me felt second nature. It, first time I tried it overnight, I'm like, this is, this is it. This is life for me. I felt like it was in my DNA. Uh, so overnight, uh, go from a 3.8 grade uh, student on the varsity basketball team, kicked off the varsity basketball team. I'm uh, arrested going into senior year. I'm doing jail time on the weekends in senior year. And, and um, here, here's the point. Sometimes when I still go places, and it, it's, it's all everywhere now, and word up. Like it's, someone's like, I smoked weed on the way here today. What are you saying, Pastor? And, Cool, like, uh, that's you. But what I'm saying is this. I know some of my boundaries. I put those bumper boundaries, and I'm not trying to stay all day. I've been with friends when they're smoking or whatever, and there's a difference. I can tell when my boundaries are starting to get a little too far, and sometimes maybe I stay a little too long, my heart starts getting a little too pulled, and what I need to do is just run. And I need to have those boundaries because why? I'm trying to bowl, trying to hit pins, I'm trying to do this holiness thing. Why? Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what is sin? What is this big word? What is going on? What is happening here? Uh, we're going to look at Bible Project. There's a video here that gives a great uh, example of, of where to go, what to do with this sort of thing, and, and why the stakes are so high and helping us understand the word sin. Check it out. 
Most people assume the Bible has a lot to say about how messed up humans are, and that's true. It's also true that the Bible's vocabulary about this topic sounds odd to modern people, using words like sin, iniquity, or transgression. And so the Bible's perspective on the human condition is often ignored or treated as ancient and backwards. This is really unfortunate. Because through these words, the biblical authors are offering us a deeply profound diagnosis of human nature. Iniquity describes behavior that's crooked, while transgression refers to breaking trust. And sin? This is actually the most common of these bad words in the Bible. So let's focus on it for a few minutes. Sin translates the Hebrew word chata and the Greek word hamartia. The most basic meaning of sin isn't religious at all. Chata simply means to fail or miss the goal. Like when the Israelite tribe of Benjamin trained a small army of slingshot experts, they could sling a stone at a hair and not chata, that is, fail or miss. Or there's a biblical proverb that warns against making hasty decisions because you're likely to chata your way, miss your destination. So in the Bible, sin is a failure to fulfill a goal. But what's the goal? Well, on page one of the Bible, we learn that every human is an image of God, a sacred being who represents the creator and is worthy of respect. And so in this way of seeing the world, sin is a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. You can see this idea in the famous code of conduct given to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments. Half of them identify ways you can fail at loving God, and the other half name ways you can fail at loving people. And the fact that both kinds of failure are combined shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. This is why in the Bible, sin against people is sin against God. Like when Joseph refuses to sleep with the wife of Potiphar, he says, how could I sin against God? In Joseph's mind, failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to love God. And so sin is a failure to be truly human. But there's more. A fascinating thing about sin in the Bible is that most of the time that people are failing, they either don't know it, or even worse, they think they're succeeding. Like when Pharaoh wants to build Egypt's economy and protect national security, in his mind, this justifies enslaving the Israelites. He thinks it's good, and he's totally unaware that it's an epic fail. Or when King Saul is chasing David around the wilderness trying to kill him, he thought he was bringing a criminal to justice until he realizes he's the corrupt one. And he says, I have sinned. I am the failure. So sin is about more than just doing bad things. It describes how we easily deceive ourselves and spin illusions to redefine our bad decisions as good ones. So why are humans such bad judges between moral failure and success? Well, the first appearance of the word sin in the Bible offers an insight. There are these two brothers, Cain and Abel. Their parents had just given in to this beastly temptation to redefine good and evil by their own wisdom, and now Cain is faced with a similar choice. He's jealous and angry that God has favored his brother, and so God warns him, if you don't choose what is good, chata is crouching at the door, it wants you. But you can rule over it. So in these stories, sin, or moral failure, is depicted as this wild, hungry animal that wants to consume humans. And we know how that story ends. The Bible is trying to tell us that failed human behavior, our tendency towards self-deception, it runs deep. It's rooted in our desires and selfish urges that compel us to act for our own benefit at the expense of others. And it leads to this chain reaction of relational breakdown. This is why in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul describes hamartia 
as a power or a force that rules humans. In his words, we are slaves to sin. He even says sin lives in us so that the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. So with the word sin, the biblical authors are offering a robust description of the human condition. It's a failure to be humans who fully love God and others. It's our inability to judge whether we're succeeding or failing. And it's that deep selfish impulse that drives much of our behavior. This is not a pretty picture of ourselves, but if we're honest, it's realistic. This is why in the Bible, the story of Jesus is such good news. He's depicted as the creator become a truly human one who did not fail to love God and others. That is, he did not sin. And yet, he took responsibility for humanity's history of failure. He lived for others and he died for their sins. And he was raised from the dead to offer them the gift of his life that covers for their failures. Or in the words of the apostles, he committed no sin, yet he carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live to do what is right. And that's the story behind the biblical word for sin. Wow, that's so good. It's good, isn't it? Helps frame where we're at. Helps frame that we can send someone to the moon, but we can't solve world peace. We weren't created originally to be sinners, sin in us. We're created to be like God. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by name, my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God formed us, he made us, and we're created for his glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. How would we even know when we're giving God glory? That's where his word comes in. He's given us his word. It's where worship comes in. It's where community comes in. So we got to be transformed. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And Proverbs 18, 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. How we speak can give God glory. In the tongue, we got to watch out. James reminds us the same thing. And the tongue is like a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, stating the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. I've been convicted this week about my tongue and in ways that might be a little harder to, to understand. And it's in ways that where I talk about more of the problem than I talk about how great the Lord is. Or I talk about my inadequacy and I talk about that I really can't do it instead of talking about that he really can do it. And, and I'm challenged. No, I, no I, I am an heir. I am a son of Jesus. I have more than enough. I have a way out of every temptation. I can think good thoughts. I can say positive things. And I'm not faking it till I make it. I'm just talking about Jesus. And I can go to Jesus with my problems and not look for empathy and pity from others. Because it happens so subtly, doesn't it? Now, there's opposition. There's a lot of attacks for us. First Peter gives us a call to holy in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Okay, here we are. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace. The grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who's called you is holy, 
you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, for you shall be holy, that means they're referencing the Old Testament, referencing Leviticus, and it's actually referenced multiple times that God is holy, so we should be holy, but we didn't have the ability to be holy in our own self in the law, but as grace now has set us free, that holiness can be our freedom song. Holiness is my song. It's one of the things that's written in my identity statement. Holiness is my song. It's who I am. It's what I need to do. That it get, I'm free when I'm holy. And I don't have to force to be holy. I just receive the one who is holy. And if you call on him as your father who judges him impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. What's interesting about Peter is we could say, well, okay, we, you don't know my story. And I could say, well, you don't know my story. And we could say, well, we don't know each other's stories and how difficult it is. The backdrop of what's written here is there's an emperor named Nero. He lit the city on fire. He's burning Christians alive. He has such a power struggle that he wants the, the city to be burnt down so he can build it back up again and get all the credit. And he's blaming the Christians for the fire. And then this is the text that's written to the Christians that are under that type of persecution. <laughs> Saying, hey, be holy. Why couldn't they write back and be like, we're being burnt alive. Be holy. Wow. Kind of takes our excuses and it throws it out the door, doesn't it? Here's a video on holiness. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful as the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness. Because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear, and God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place, the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. 
Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal, and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable, because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah, and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development, this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus, but instead, Jesus' purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now, but... Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity and bringing everything back to life. We believe the Bible is one complete Booyah. You're like, yes. Wow. His holiness. Just to carry out that sun-sun analogy, metaphor. So if the sun set us free, 
I've often thought about, well, the sun is always shining because Jesus is always shining. And always. Well, that means his holiness is always real and able to shine through me. And as we live holy, I genuinely believe this, that holiness, it becomes attractive and contagious when it's healthy holiness. It's not holiness to, like, look, we're better than you. It's holiness to say, we've been made clean. Let me help. I want to make this clean too. And you start preserving. That's why we're like salt. We're to preserve. We're to change a region. Well, three things that can help us live holy as we close. Number one, uh, the word. Jesus used the word when he was tempted. Matthew 4, he was tempted by the devil. Verse 4, you know, how the devil responds to him. It says, the tempter came and said, if you're the son of God, come on, make these stone become loaves of bread. The devil will always lie to us. He'll use part half-truths. When we, if we're soaking in God's word, this can be intimidating. Someone's like, I don't even know where to start. Don't worry, I'll tell us in a second. <laughs> and there's others that, are, you, you know, you, you read chapters a day. Awesome. Let's help others begin to read a sentence. We want everyone to come. And Jesus responds, hey, man should not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus is quoting scripture on how to overcome the evil one. Then I probably should quote scripture out of my mouth on how to overcome the evil one to be holy. And he does it two more times. And then finally, at the end, in verse 11, the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. When we get a battle, we respond with God's word, the enemy's got to leave. And God will minister to us. We've made sin our pet too much. We get comfortable, it's our pet. Well, eventually our pet then becomes the ruler and the master. But God's word is, it's the river of life forever and ever. If you're silly enough to trust me for a second, maybe close your eyes. I want to read God's word to us and let it wash over us right now. 1 John 4, 4, little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. John 1, 12, yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Perfect love in this place is casting out fear today. Psalm 31, 24, be strong and let your heart take courage. All who wait for the Lord. God, we wait upon you. Psalm 43, 46, 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Mark 10, 27, Jesus looked at him and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Today, the belief of heaven praying rises up in our hearts. 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Philippians four nineteen. And my God will supply every need according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. First Peter five seven. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your word today. The devil's leaving us and God's ministering to us. God's ministering to us. He's very close to us right now. Um, for time's sake, just I'm just going to go through a couple of these other ones and show us a video and we're going to get out of here. But... Maybe I'll preach part two next week. Um, some steps to start reading God's word. version app. There's, we, City Life has an app. There's reading and devotions in that. version has a Bible verse of the day. And reading that is profound. Just one little verse. It, it helps me. Number two, we worship. So to be holy, we got, we're in God's word. We're worshiping. It's what God made us for. In fact, we're to make a joyful noise. We're to serve the Lord with gladness. We're to come into his presence with singing. It is he who made us, and we are his, and we are his people. We're to give thanks. We're to be in his courts with praise. Worship means to bow down. Sometimes you'll see people bowing down in worship. What they're doing is they're humbling themselves before God. Hopefully, either that or they want attention, but hopefully it's the first one. And I asked God, I'm like, God, when you feel that prompting, I did in worship today. I was like, you want me to go to your, my knees? Why? And he's like, just, just rest. Surrender all right now. I go, huh, okay. So I got down. Uh, so two would be worship. And then lastly, three, community, God's people. When we sin against people, it's sinning against God. But when we're connected with people in community, it changes the game. That's the proximity plus frequency equals intimacy, that we're encouraging one another and building up one another. I want to show us this 60-second clip that I think really captures these two different wolves that are trying to be in our life all the time. If there's two wolves, if I said, hey, there's this one wolf over here, it's sin, but there's this other wolf over here, and it's holiness, which one wins and how? Check it out. Nothing else. You're a NASA engineer. two wolves. You have told me this story my entire life, and now I'm telling you. There are two wolves, and they're always fighting. One is darkness and despair. The other is light and hope. Which wolf wins? Okay, fine. Don't answer. Whichever one you feed. Come on. Can you hear God saying that to us now? Which one wins? Sin or holiness? Whatever one we feed. Sin starts small, but then it leaves us, oh, it leaves us so far off the course. I don't want a pilot when we're landing to be one degree off. No. 
as a people, this city needs us. The state needs us. This nation needs us. The world needs us. God left his best plan, A, in us. Whoa, that's startling. It's also beautiful that he wants to work through imperfect vessels. I'll read us this passage as we leave. 2 Timothy, in a well-furnished kitchen, there are not only crystal goblets and silver platters, but waste cans and compost buckets, some containers used to serve fine meals, others to take out the garbage. Become the kind of container God can use to present any and every kind of gift to his guests for their blessing. I remember reading this and I remember praying, God, make me like this. This is what I want to be like. It doesn't matter what this person's doing. I, look, I've made so many mistakes. I want to be like this. I want to be used by you. I pray that's the type of prayer each one of us pray today. It'll change the course of history. Run away from infantile indulgence and run after mature righteousness, faith, love, peace, joining those, this is the wolf we're feeding, who are in honest and serious prayer before God. Refuse to get involved. Show me your friends. Show me your future. With inane discussions, they always get up and end in fights. God's servants must not be argumentative, but a gentle listener and a teacher who keeps his cool, working firmly but patiently with those who refuse to obey. And you never know or when God might sober them up with a change of heart and turning to the truth. You never know when someone's going to change. We never give up on believing on people, ever. Enabling them to escape the devil's trap where they are caught and held captive, forced to run his errands. Let's pray. God, we are a people today that say yes to your holiness, to your grace. We don't have to muster up the ability to be some superstar that's a great achiever, but we have to simply just surrender all. We give it all to you. You're worthy. Have our life. Here we are, Lord. Send us. Where there's sin, God, we pray today that your coal and your fire of heaven will burn it off. The impurities will burn off today in the name of Jesus. That there'll be a new hunger, new thirst, that we're more than conquerors. That we get a new vision for our friends, new vision for our family, new vision for our job. That today we tune in to the frequency of heaven and that the sun is always shining. We thank you that your forgiveness is new, your mercies are new every day. And that today is a great day to put in the ground the freedom flag, the freedom flag of holiness that it is our song. Have our way, take our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Come on, if you believe it, let me hear you. If you believe it, God, we believe it. Look, we love you guys. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. For more information, messages, and to partner financially, go to citylifelancing.com. You belong here.